Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Making the right choice isn't always easy. We've got so many options of what we can do, and when I'm tired, I don't want to weigh all my options. It would be great if I could just get a gentle push in the right direction, something that would make making choices easier. What I'm talking about here is a nudge, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We'll be learning about what a nudge is, why they work, and when they don't. We'll also be looking at some of the various ways we can nudge ourselves and why it's important for us to know when someone else might be nudging us. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com nudge. Before we get started, I'd just like to invite you to check out the Hacking Your ADHD Patreon. The show is free to listen to, but I put a lot of effort into every episode. So if you love the show, have the means, and would like to support it, I'd appreciate you heading over to hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon and checking out what I have to offer. If you want even more Hacking Your ADHD, at the $10 tier, you can get bonus content every month with minisodes that don't appear on the podcast. So just head over to hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon and find the tier that's right for you. All right, keep on listening to find out how you can nudge yourself in the right direction. Today we're going to be talking about nudging, which is an idea from behavioral economics. The term nudging was first coined by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein in their book, Nudge, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. And kind of a funny little thing about that is that when they were first pitching their book, the term they were using was libertarian paternalism, which makes me see why their publishers thought they might need to have a different term there. At its basics, nudging is just an attempt to change someone's behavior by changing the environment or conditions. Now, that's not very clear what that means there. So what would changing your environment look like? Well, if you wanted to drink more water, just having your water bottle on your desk changes your environment. Seeing your water bottle gives you a nudge that maybe you should drink more water. An important thing to think about with nudging as well is that it's not about incentives. When I put that water bottle on my desk, I'm not incentivizing myself to drink more water. I'm just making it available. The point of nudges here is that it's not a shove. A nudge is just kind of a redirecting your attention in the right direction. And there are all different ways that you can nudge not only other people, but yourself, which is really what we want to focus on today. And what I like about nudging is that it's all about reducing resistance, which if you look back at the last two weeks is what we were talking about. We're just trying to make the right choices easier to make. It's not a big intervention. And so a well-designed nudge will help keep you on track even when you're not really thinking about it. Let's say you want to eat healthier. There are a lot of things you can do to make eating healthier easier. But one of the easiest ways through nudging you could do that is putting those foods that you want to eat directly in front of your eyesight. So instead of having fruits and vegetables put away, you might have them right on your counter so that they're the first foods you see. And this is a funny point about nudging because we often think that we make rational decisions, that we're very logical and we think things through step to step. But in reality, we don't actually have much thought behind our decision. We go, oh, this is what I want to eat, so I'm eating it which makes the beauty of putting foods that you want to eat in front of you. Because you see the food and your brain goes, I want to eat those carrots. It doesn't go, hey, I want to eat healthy. You don't have to go through the process of going, okay, I want to have a healthy snack. How am I going to get that prepared? Instead, the idea of eating carrots is immediately lodged in your brain because that's what you see. 
Another important point about nudges is that they're voluntary. When I'm nudged, I don't have to do the thing I'm being nudged towards doing. I know I can have some rebel tendencies sometimes. If I'm forced to do something, that usually increases my resistance to it. But when we're looking at nudges, again, it's not about rational decision-making. It's about what becomes the easiest thing for me to do. All right, I'm going to drink water because it's right here on my desk. Yeah, I'm going to eat an apple because it's in a bowl on my counter. And so our question becomes, what can we make easier in our life? All right, so let's talk about some examples of nudging. One example that most of us have seen are those radar speed limit signs that we'll see at the side of the road that display how fast we're going. So the interesting thing about these is that we already know how fast we're going. We have a speedometer in our car. But having that external reminder tends to have the effect of making people slow down. Of course, we could think about this as social pressures, but it's also a nudge reminding us how fast we're actually going. There's also the curious example of men's restrooms that have started putting pictures of flies on the insides of urinals in the hope that it'll encourage men to aim better. And it really works. The Dutch airport that first started this practice found an 80% reduction in urine on the floor. And while that's great, I do think that does say something about the quality of men's restrooms, where having 80% less urine on the floor is still a win, even though there's still 20% there. But I guess we'll just have to take what we can get. And we saw another example recently in the news with the and we saw another example in the news recently with the UK changing how their organ donation program works by going to presumed consent. It basically switches the program from being opt-in to being opt-out. Before transitioning to this law, 80% of UK residents supported organ donation, but only 38% actually opted in. That's a big difference. In Wales, where presumed consent has already been in place since 2015, the donation rate was already at 75%. This speaks volumes about how we use our default choices. Nudging works because our decision-making isn't actually rational. We think it is, but in reality, a lot of the decisions we make throughout the day are based on what's easiest for us at the time. And with nudging, we can use this information to help us push us towards the choices we want to make. One of the big reasons I think we should think about using nudging for ourselves is decision fatigue. And decision fatigue is basically the idea that the more decisions we make, the worse we become at making decisions. I mean, think about after a long day, choosing what you want to eat. And yet you're just choosing what you want to eat. It seems like it shouldn't be that hard. But at that point in the day, it seems impossible. As decision fatigue sets in, we rely on the path of least resistance more and more. We choose the easy choice. This means that we can use this time specifically for our nudges where we want to try and make the right decision the easiest decision. One of the ways we can do this is by choosing what our default options are. We, of course, can do something differently, but that would take more effort. Think about heading to your local coffee shop. And if you don't drink coffee, maybe it's a sandwich shop you go to. But when you head in, you probably already know what you're going to order. You don't have to order that thing, but that's your default option, and so it makes it easier to choose what you're doing there. So you may be saying, well, this is great, but how do I nudge myself? And before we get into that, let me say that nudging is hard. And creating a well-designed nudge isn't as simple as it seems. In fact, there are examples of nudges going in the exact opposite direction that they intended to. That UK organ donation program I talked about? Well, the Dutch tried a similar opt-out program that went into effect this year, and it saw record-breaking numbers of citizens refusing to donate. And it's not always clear what makes one nudge work and another one not. And in this example, it's clearly something other than the fact that people have to opt out 
if it's working in the UK, but not working in the Netherlands. So before jumping in, it's important to think about how your nudge is going to be affecting you. And I should also acknowledge that nudging isn't without its critics. One criticism is that it may not actually create long-term behavioral change, that once the nudge is removed, that you'll still be doing the original activity. Although with that same argument, my glasses don't really fix my vision. I still have to use them. Just because something has to be ongoing doesn't mean that we shouldn't take advantage of it when we can. And then there's also another argument that nudging can be manipulative. And, well, that's very true, especially when people are not being transparent about it. We'll get a little bit more into this later, because it's also important to protect yourself from other people nudging you in ways you're not expecting. So let's think about some of the ways that we can use nudges. One of the ways that most of us already use nudges is through reminders. A reminder is just a way to try and get you to do something that you already wanted to do. And it's not like you have to do what the reminder says, which makes reminders a great example of a simple nudge. I've already created an episode specifically about reminders, so if you want to check that out, go look for episode 22, How to Create More Effective Reminders. Alright, what other ways have we been talking about nudges? Well, there's also choice architecture, which is basically how choices are presented to us. Let's think back to our coffee shop example. When we walk into that coffee shop, we can choose anything on that menu. But in our heads, we already know what our choice is. That's our default option. And we can use our default option in a lot of places in our life. One great example is what happens when you open up a new web browser. Perhaps you're bombarded by tabs that you left open from your last visit. Or perhaps you open your web browser to a new session every time. What happens when you open that web browser predicts what you're going to do next. If having all those tabs open makes you just open more tabs, maybe it would be better to change your browser settings so that it always opened to a fresh browser. Now, I know that sounds terrifying to me, but how often are you looking through those old tabs? I know personally I have about 30 tabs open right now. Most of them probably don't need to be open, but I leave them there because they're reminders. Well, actually, they're just really bad reminders, because if I'm not going back and looking at them, they're not reminding me of anything, and they're just taking up space every time I open a new tab. Another way that we can think about nudging is how we shape our environment. Earlier, I talked about how having a water bottle on my desk increases how much water I drink throughout the day. That's just one way I can shape my environment. Another way that I do it is I have my journal out on my desk so that I see it when I first get into my office. It encourages me to do a little bit of journaling before I start my work. And I think these are important ideas to think about because we can also think about the other side of this equation. So let's say I had a bowl of Halloween candy on my counter. How likely do you think I am to eat that Halloween candy? If I have links to the games I want to play prominently displayed on my desktop, how likely am I to just click those links? One of the problems with ADHD is often that out of sight is out of mind. But we can actually take advantage of that here. If we know that something's bad for us, we can just put it out of sight, and it's less likely for us to try and engage with that thing. Now, earlier I talked about how nudging can be used to manipulate people, and that's important to consider. Just take a look at how social media works. It's designed to get you to engage. And how do they do that? They do that through testing and nudging you to do the things you want to do. I mean, why does Facebook test all those different designs and layouts? It's because they want to know what format's going to get you to engage the most. And that's just the environmental design side of nudging. They're looking at what's going to make you click things. This means that when we're engaging in social media, we should be thinking about what we actually want to be doing when we're on the platform. Let's just think about Facebook's feed for a second here. When we log in, it's designed to grab our attention. If you're just logging in to check your events real quick, you might see that first story on your feed and get sucked in. And before you know it, you're scrolling. 
This is one of the reasons I have a Chrome extension installed on my browser called the Facebook Feed Eradicator, which just completely removes my feed. I can still log into Facebook and see all my mentions and see my events. I just don't see the feed. And it still lets me go in and look at individual pages I want to see, like my neighborhood page. The point here is that nudges are neither good nor bad, but they can be used against us. So the question that we want to be asking ourselves is whether or not something is helping us make the right choice or the wrong choice. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. One, at its basics, nudging is an attempt to change someone's behavior by changing their environment or conditions. A nudge shouldn't alter the incentives. It should just make the option we want to pick the easiest option. Two, nudges work because our decision-making isn't rational. In reality, we actually usually just take the path of least resistance. Three, we can nudge ourselves in several different ways. One way many of us already use nudges is through reminders. We can also alter our environment, like having a bottle of water on our desk. Or we can change our default options, like having our web browser default to a blank page instead of opening up to countless tabs. Four, it's important to be aware of nudges because many companies use them to influence our behavior. When we know that we're being nudged, we can decide if that's really the decision we want to be making, or if there's actually a better option for us. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HackingYourADHD, or you can connect with me over at HackingYourADHD.com slash contact. If you'd like links, you can go to the show notes page at HackingYourADHD.com slash nudge. If you're this far into the end of the show, you might also be interested in the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. I also do a live Q&A with Eric and Brendan every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. It's been a pleasure, and until next time, stay curious.